You know, I can remember in high school, I would go to some school events with a couple friends, a brother and a sister, often ride with them to those events. And when we were in the car, they always wanted to play the oldies station, okay? Which, like, I mean, they loved that 50s, 60s music. It was fine. I sort of enjoyed it too. But, you know, I would have rather listened to the 80s music of the day. And then, then... Several years ago in this millennium, I was, you know, going through stations on the radio in the car, looking for something to listen to, came across the oldies station and realized they were playing 80s music. And that was a little insulting to me, okay? But it happens to all of us, right? But we'd like to listen to that stuff. Whatever oldies means to you, whatever your day was, right? We like to listen to that music because it takes us back. It takes us to a different time. We can almost see what was around us. We can feel those surroundings and smell the smells of that day. Uh, Leanne and I can remember we met in a department store and we worked in the men's department. Often worked in the area they called Hip Pocket was where they sold jeans and young men's shirts and all that good stuff. And an 80s song will come on and we're like, I remember hearing that in Hip Pocket, you know, back in the day. We like that because it takes us back. Now that can be true in church too. You know, there are songs that we sing in church, maybe in our first service where there's a few more hymns, and I can hear my grandmother sitting next to me when I was a little boy in church. I can hear her singing some of those songs. Or I can hear Dean Price, who was a preacher and sort of involved in me becoming a minister. I can hear him leading and singing certain songs. Or Tony Long, who led worship in the first church that I preached at. I can hear him leading some of those songs. It takes us back. And so today we begin a series of lessons on some oldies, but we're going to go way back before Elevation Worship or Chris Tomlin, some of the stuff we sing in this service, or the Gaither Vocal Band or Fanny J. Crosby, if you know who that is, that we might sing first service, back to Jesus Day. But, but the songs we're going to look at were oldies for Jesus, okay? They predate him by several hundred years, but had become sort of the worship language of the people of Israel during Jesus Day. Songs that go back to what we call the Old Testament. And oftentimes when we think of songs that were in the Old Testament, we think of the book of Psalms, right? Because it is worship language and it's poetry. But we find that kind of stuff in other books of the Old Testament as well. And so we're going to look at three songs that we find in the book of Isaiah, which is a great book of prophecy that we see in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a great prophet. He's teaching and preaching during the time of the people of Judah. You'll remember there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel then divided into Israel and Judah. He's in Judah and he pronounces God's judgment and then God's redemption on the people of Israel. Okay, so we're going to look at three songs from the prophet Isaiah. As we think about that first one, you know, in the evening, Leah and I watch TV most every night, and, you know, we have that conversation. I'll look at her and say, what do you want to watch? And then we go back and forth, right? And whatever you want to watch, whatever you want to watch. And finally, what usually happens is Leanne wants to watch a British detective show, okay? And I like them too, so we watch a lot of British TV. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we were watching one of those detective shows, and the setup was this guy was getting married the next day, so his groomsmen take him out on, like... Uh, pub crawl, stag night kind of thing. And as part of it, they always played a practical joke on the guy getting married. One of the guys, the groomsman, works at a 
company that manufactures caskets. So he gets one of these caskets. They take it out in the middle of the woods, force the groom into the casket, nail it shut, put an air tube in, and bury him. Okay? And, you know, what this guy wants more than anything is to get out of that. And, of course, his friends end up getting into an accident because they're all drunk. And they're dead, so nobody knows where he is. Okay? That was a little much for me, to be honest with you. Okay? I'll just tell you. Anyway, what he needed, what salvation meant to him in that moment was getting out of that thing. And of course, it became much more complicated than that. But anyhow, he was fine in the end, in case you were worried. But salvation, it means a lot of different things, doesn't it? I mean, you go to a, a game and somebody's holding a sign, or a crowd of any kind anymore, really, and it says, Jesus saves. Sometimes I wonder whether those do any good, right? Maybe they do. I don't know. But I think a lot of people who don't already know Jesus would be going, okay, what does it mean that Jesus saves? What is he going to save me from? What are these people talking about? And so we, if we talk about a God who saves, we need to think about what that means. And we find that at work in these songs of Isaiah, because part of what he's talking about is that God is a God of salvation. And so today, we're going to look at one of those songs. It's found in Isaiah chapter 12. And what we find is that Isaiah 1 through 12 is sort of one big unit of prophecy, okay? So Isaiah is speaking, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He's speaking during the time of King Ahaz of Judah. And, and Ahaz has a problem, because Judah is a really small country, and he's threatened by other countries. The northern kingdom of Israel, okay, and then the kingdom of Syria. They're bigger, stronger than him, and they are threatening to overtake him. So what does he do? Well, a smart king, if you're being threatened by bullies, you find a bigger bully, right? And so he appeals to the great king of the empire of Assyria, which is much stronger than any of these little local kings where he was. He's trying to create an alliance. And most of us would say, good thinking, shrewd, political, military leader. But Isaiah said, bad idea. Because what you're doing is trusting in a bunch of people who worship pagan gods they're not going to keep their promises anyway, and you're going to be drawn to worship their gods rather than our God, Yahweh, the God of creation, the God who formed Israel, the God who promises to care for you. You need to trust in God. And Ahaz refused to listen. And because this was just one more in a series of decisions where the people of Judah were walking away from God, Isaiah says, okay, this idolatry where you're worshiping everything but God, you're worshiping military might, you're worshiping other gods, it's going to come to an end and God's tired of it. He's going to punish you and you're going to be carried off into exile, all right? And so a lot of Isaiah 1 through 11 is all about God's judgment. But then as we come to the middle of Isaiah 11 and especially into 12, what we hear is Isaiah looking further into the future, past this exile to when God redeems his people. And so this is what Isaiah says, beginning in verse 1. In that day, that day of redemption, 
you will say, I will praise you, Lord. And this is when it's all caps. If you look in your Bible, it would be all caps and it it would be the Old Testament God, Yahweh, the God of creation, the God who gave us Jesus. I will praise you, Yahweh, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. That time's coming. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Yahweh, Yahweh himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Twice in that passage, Isaiah says, not only God will save, but that God is salvation. God embodies salvation. Now Isaiah's putting into motion some thought that my guess is maybe he didn't fully understand and the people of Israel, the people of Judah didn't fully understand. You see, they understood what he's saying about judgment and sin and idolatry. They understand God being a comfort in the future. But what changes? Why does God move from being a God who is bringing judgment on his people to a God who's bringing and being salvation? Well, that answer doesn't really come until in part later in the book of Isaiah and in full in the New Testament. And we find Isaiah beginning to look forward in chapters 40 through 66 to God's Messiah, to God sending salvation to Israel. And we find that fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus. That God takes on human form and God goes to the cross to deal with our sin and idolatry problem and gives us salvation. He becomes our salvation because something inherently changes on the cross and God offers salvation not just to Israel, but to all of humanity. So this is a God who saves How do we respond to a God who saves? I mean, that's the key. As we look at these songs that we find in Isaiah, we hear Isaiah describing God and then how we respond to this God. That's what he does here. So verses 1 and 2 talk about God bringing comfort. And then he says this in verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you'll say this, Give praise to Yahweh. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to Yahweh for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. The proper response to a God who saves is worship. When they acknowledge what God is doing, that he is bringing salvation and preparing the way of salvation for his people, even though they've sinned, even though they've chosen to worship everything but God, things are changing. And because of that, God deserves their worship. And that stands true for us as well. I mean, I would boil it down to this. The God who saves deserves our praise. And God saves just as powerfully now as he did then. You know, the thing is, we have a real advantage over the people who heard Isaiah from the very beginning. They didn't know what was coming. They had yet to see the exile. They had yet to see their return from exile when God brings them comfort. They didn't know about Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, and then this 400-year gap where the people of Israel are waiting for God to do something. 
and where the New Testament picks up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, with Jesus' birth, 400 years after Malachi, 400 years of waiting. These people didn't know all that was there. They were beginning to see some inklings of what God was doing. But we can look back and we can see what God has done. So not only do we see their sin and God's punishment for, for that, what we see is our own sin. What we see is those times in life when we have chosen to worship anything but God. We have chosen to worship our stuff and our money and our power and our freedom. And we have chosen to say, you know what? I know God created me to reflect His glory and His nature to the people around me. But what I'm going to pursue is not that mission that God's given me. I'm going to pursue all the stuff that I want. And every single one of us, including me, have done that. And that is sin. And that sin deserves punishment. But what God has done in Jesus is to say to us, you don't have to pay the price. Jesus has done it. What God has chosen to do is to be our salvation, just like Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus, 2,500 years ago. This is a God who saves. And it's important for us to think about what does it mean when we say God is a God of salvation? What does it mean when we say Jesus saves? What does it mean when we say, maybe even more powerfully, God is our salvation? The proper response to all that is worship. And part of the reason we've gathered in this room today is what sometimes people say is reciting the mighty acts of God, talking about what God has done. And so we talk about stories from Scripture and we look at this powerful God who brings us salvation. And we talk about our prayer needs. We talk about around the table Jesus coming and being among us and dying for our sins. We talk about the mighty acts of God because when we do that, we are giving glory to God. We're here for worship. That's why we've gathered. And so today, we've come to this place to praise a God who deserves that praise because He's a God of salvation. And so we have to remind ourselves, yeah, part of why we come to this place is to learn. Part of why we come to this place is to hear Scripture speak into our lives. Part of the reason that we come to this place is so we get something that man, we can use it during the week. We want to be practical in what we do, but that is not the end of it. A big part of the reason that we come in this room or gather online is because we're choosing to praise this God who saves. This God who is salvation to us. When we think about salvation, you know, what we would in some ways really like for salvation to mean is whatever problem I've got going on in my life today, and most of us have something, right? Whatever problem I've got going on, God's going to take that away from me. I'm not going to have to deal with it anymore. God's just going to magically, miraculously solve my problems. We know that's not the way it works. 
And we know that's not the promise of Scripture. Sometimes God does do that. But God doesn't say he's going to do that every time. But what we do know is that God has dealt with the biggest problems. That God has dealt with the things that threaten us most. Sin and death. The things that we brought on ourselves. And what we also know is that those things that we're worried about today, the things that kept us up last night, the things that we're going to struggle with this afternoon, even if God doesn't just take them away, God walks with us through them. You see, it's part of God embodying salvation in our life. God being salvation is that He walks with us through the difficult things. He makes us able to get through it. That's part of God being salvation. And that's part of the reason that we're here to worship today. And so, before we get together and sing again, I want us to have prayer. But I'd like for you to think for just a minute. What is it that God's done? I want to give you some time to think about that and to talk to God about it, to praise Him. And maybe what you would say is, you know what, God has brought me, God is my salvation from my sin and from death. Well, there's nothing bigger than that. So all of us can say that. But maybe as you look back on the last week, or the last couple weeks, or month, whatever it is, or maybe there's just something way back in your life that immediately comes to mind. You say, man, God was at work in that. Or... I couldn't have gotten through that if I hadn't known God was with me. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you will. And I'm going to give you just a minute to talk to God about whatever comes to your mind in that. Whether it's something God's done in the last couple of weeks or whether it's something that God did on the cross or some other time in your life to worship this God who saves. And then I'll pray for all of us together and we'll worship in song. Let's pray together. God, you are a God who saves over and over again. Your God who is salvation, and we see that on the cross. <clears throat> but we've seen it lots of other times too. We know you've been at work <clears throat> in our lives and have brought <clears throat> excuse me, have brought us salvation. We know that you've you've been salvation in difficult moments in life. And we give you praise for that. And we ask that you'd be at work even now with the things that are bothering us. Show us your presence and show us your salvation today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.